Let's do that, shall we, by turning our Bibles to John chapter 1. If you need a copy of God's Word, just get the attention of one of the ushers, and they'll be happy to get one into your hands. John chapter 1, verses 6 to 13, is our text this morning. John 1, verses 6 to 13. We just started a new study in the Gospel of John here, focusing on verses 1 to 18 during the Christmas season because verse 14 is the essence of Christmas. Verse 14 is the core of Christmas. The Word became flesh. There is no greater summation of Christmas than those four words. The Word became flesh, referring, of course, to Jesus as we saw last week. If you weren't able to be with us last week, we encourage you to go to our website and you'll find last week's message online. You'll find all the previous week's messages online. We encourage you, though for sure, for this particular series. The Word became flesh. Jesus became flesh. But this passage isn't just about Him. It's also about our decision to accept or reject Him. The most important decision that we will make in all of life. True, true. The decision to either accept or reject Jesus. And everybody makes it. Every single person on the face of the earth for all time makes this decision. Whether they know it or not, everybody makes a decision about Jesus. Including you and me. Unfortunately, only a few make the right one. Only a few. Most people reject Jesus. Some intentionally so, and others, most others, in fact, I think by default, without even thinking about it, without even considering him, and just going along through life and being occupied with everything else that's going on in their lives, the ups and downs, the ins and the outs, and they don't even think about Jesus, and that in and of itself is a decision. Every single one of us makes a decision, whether we know it or not, whether we think about it or not. And this passage, in verses 6 to 13 here in John chapter 1, is a clear and gentle plea to make the right decision. Oh, hear me on that. It's a clear and gentle plea to make the right decision, a clear and gentle plea to accept him, to accept Jesus. And if you already have, it's a clear and gentle reminder to thank him, to thank him for moving in your heart and soul and bringing you to a place of receiving him. You follow along, John chapter 1, verse 6. Having just referred to Jesus as the light in the darkness, it says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. 
But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. At first glance, verses 6 to 8 seem to be out of place, don't they? Don't they to you? They did, they did to me at first glance. They just seem to not really go with the flow of thought. I mean, why not just go from verse 5 to verse 9? Like verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, verse 9, and gives light to everyone. That seems really smooth to me. Seems like a, a, a consistent flow of thought. Why interrupt things and talk about somebody else in verses 6 to 8? I think it's this. Because the Apostle John doesn't want us to be confused. And that's the first thing that I want to commend to you this morning. Don't be confused. Don't be confused. That's the idea here and the first requirement to make a right decision. First requirement. Like if you're confused about something, think about it in the course of your life. If you're confused about something like buying a car or buying a house or Heavens, the terms of your phone contract these days. If you're confused about something, chances are you're going to make a mistake in your decision. You just, you just are. And probably a whole bunch, I won't poll you, you've made lots of bad decisions in those and other areas of your life. I sure have. If you're confused about a medical procedure, like you probably won't move forward with something that needs to be done. You'll put it off and put it off and put it off and thinking that if you just ignore it, it'll go away. Oh, how about that? There's something. When nothing could be further from the truth. Confusion muddies the water and leads to poor decisions or non-decisions. Decisions by default. And this one is no different. The decision to believe. If you're confused, you'll probably choose poorly. So the Apostle John inserts verses 6 to 8 to make sure we're not confused. Starting with a guy named John. Another John. Another John. When the Apostle John, catch me on this, when the Apostle John, the author of this gospel, the author of the account of Christ's life, that's what the gospel means here, the gospel according to John, the, the account of Christ's life according to the Apostle John, when John says in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, he's not referring to himself. Not. John is John the Baptist. In verse 6, John is John the Baptist. The Apostle John never refers to himself by name in this book. It's almost frustrating. Like we know because of the accounts that he shares, the things that he talks about, and the way that he does refer to himself as the one whom Jesus loved several times over. We know it is John. Sometimes I'm just like, why don't you just say your name in this? Probably because he didn't want to draw attention to himself and he didn't want to muddy the water any more than it maybe already was for people in that day, especially by the likes of John the Baptist. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about John the Baptist. Plus, John the Baptist is the one that the Apostle John explicitly talks about later in the chapter. First in verse 15, and then in verses 19 to 34, extensively. So don't be confused about who he is and don't confuse John the Baptist with Jesus as 
some people, it seems, were prone to do in those days. That's the primary reason for verses 6 to 8. Don't confuse John the Baptist with Jesus. Because on the one hand, similar to Jesus, he was sent from God. He was sent from God. Jesus was sent from God, and John the Baptist was sent from God. So you can see how maybe some people might get things mixed up, mixed around. Look at verse 6 again. There was a man sent from God. Just like Jesus was miraculously conceived, John the Baptist was miraculously conceived. If you've read the New Testament, you know the story. He wasn't miraculously conceived by a virgin like Jesus was. He was miraculously conceived by a woman who was barren and advanced in years, Luke tells us. And both, Jesus and John, were announced by an angel. And, and both were prophesied to do God's work. And both were sent and sanctioned by God. So you can see how the people in the first century might have been a bit confused. But John was sent as a witness. John is John the Baptist sent from God as a witness. A witness to Jesus. Verse 7 again. He came as a witness... Number one, to bear witness, number two, about the light, about Jesus, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness, number three, about the light. Three times in two sentences, the Apostle John just distinguishes John the Baptist from Jesus so that we're not confused. So that we don't put our faith, our belief in someone other than the one who deserves it. And the only one who deserves it. Jesus wasn't the, John, that is, wasn't the actual light, but he was a witness to the light. He wasn't the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the promised one from the Old Testament and the Old Testament prophets. He wasn't the Messiah, John the Baptist. He was a messenger. He was a forerunner, preaching and preparing people for the arrival of Jesus, the arrival of the light. Gathering and warning them about his advent just like the prophets of old warned and forewarned the people at that time. But different than them, different than the prophets of old, John the Baptist was also a witness. He didn't just foretell Jesus from the ancient past, saying, he's coming, he's coming. He didn't just foretell him, he did that. But he also saw him. Up close and personal, literally speaking, saw him. And he was an eyewitness who observed the light and testified about the light, but wasn't the light. Don't be confused. And don't be confused about his purpose. Did you see it there in verse 7? That all would believe. John is John the Baptist here in verses 6 to 8, sent from God as a witness that all, all, you, me, all would believe through him. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. All might believe through John, through his firsthand eyewitness testimony. That was his purpose. That was his purpose. The question here is believe what? Believe what? He came that all might believe what through him? That Jesus is the word, the logos, as we found last week. That Jesus is God in the flesh. 
Believe that Jesus is the light of life and the light of the world, as we'll see in chapter 8. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Believe that Jesus is Lord of all, Messiah, Christ. Believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as John the Baptist is going to bear witness to in a few verses. John the Baptist was sent from God to bear witness about Jesus, that all would believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Believe is a word that the Apostle John uses no less than 98 times in this gospel. In one way, shape, or form or another, John uses the word believe 98 times in this account of the life of Christ? Do you think he's trying to get something across to us? And he does so to mean accept Jesus for who he is and trust him. That's biblical belief. That's belief the way John, the Apostle John, tells us about it and the way John the Baptist was speaking of it. Accept Jesus for who he is and trust him. That is, agree with who Jesus is and what he claims. Agree with who he is and what he did. Accept him as your Lord and Savior. And the last part there, trust him with your life. Accept Jesus for who he is, all that he did, all that he claims, all that the apostles said about him. Accept Jesus for all of that and Trust him. As you've heard me say countless times, and will probably hear me say countless more times, biblical belief is not just saying that you believe in the facts about something, like I believe in the fact that that stool will support me. Biblical belief is saying I believe in that and then trust it. Trust it. Trust him with your life. That's belief John style. Put your faith in him, as we sometimes say. Trust him to save you from the consequences of your sin, the consequences of an eternity in hell apart from God. Trust him to save you from those consequences. That's biblical belief. It's trusting him to keep you for all eternity. It's trusting him to lead you in paths of righteousness. It's trusting him to guide you in times of trouble. Trusting him to strengthen you in times of need. To walk with you every step. And the list goes on. That's what John means by believe. Accept Jesus and trust him. Don't be confused. Don't think of belief in any other way. Don't be misguided. Don't just think of it as a fact that's true. But actually entrust your life to the truth. Don't be confused and make the right decision. Oh, I trust that the Lord is speaking to some of you even right now as I speak. And that the Lord is working in your heart and soul, knocking on the door of your heart, convincing you and compelling you and wooing you and drawing you to believe, to accept Jesus for who he is, Lord and Savior, and trust him with your life, not just your eternal life, but your life right now, your eternal life starting right now. Accept him and trust him. Second, from verses 9 to 11, don't miss out. Don't be confused. 
when it comes to making the right decision and don't miss out. Verse 9, the true light, John says, as opposed to the witness, the, the messenger about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, that is, everyone in the context here, everyone who sees and believes, it's not just everyone who, who breathes, everyone who lives, everyone who walks the face of the earth, and that's not consistent either with the entire Bible or with what the Apostle John lays out. No, 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 it's Jesus as the light of the world gives light to everyone, that is, everyone who sees and believes, he was coming into the world. You see it there? Into the world. Into the world in John's day. No longer shining from afar, but coming near. No longer just transcendent, but imminent. Close. Close. The true light was on his way in John's day. A light to be seen. That's what lights are for. They are to light the way and they are to be seen in and of themselves, both and. And he gave light to everyone who looked at him. This Jesus, light of life, he gave light to everyone who looked at him, everyone who fixed their gaze on him. Don't miss out on that. Don't miss out on seeing him, on seeing him, seeing Jesus, seeing the light, the one who gives light. And not just back in John's day, but now. Don't miss out on seeing the light then and now because the light, listen, listen, the light still shines. The light of Jesus still shines brighter than ever, in fact. Like through the truth of his word written and preserved for us, he still shines. He still shines. Or through the joy of his people all over the world, he still shines. And, and through the wonder of his love and countless blessings in the lives of his people all over the world, the light still shines. Make no mistake. But you have to open your eyes to see it. You have to open your eyes to see it. You have to open your eyes to see him. These eyes and these eyes. Your physical eyes and your spiritual eyes. Eyes. You have to open your physical eyes to read the light of his word. And you have to open your spiritual eyes to see the light of his work. Your physical eyes to see his people and your spiritual eyes to see his presence. With all the other lights in this world, don't miss out on seeing the true light. Don't miss out on the true light. With all the darkness, don't miss out on seeing the light of life. Don't miss out. Second, don't miss out on knowing him. Don't miss out on seeing him and don't miss out on knowing him. He was in the world. Look at verse 10 there. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. Notice the progression from, verses, from verse 9 to verse 10. He was coming into the world in verse 9, and he arrived in the world in verse 10. John brings us along very, very quickly to convey these truths to us. 
expecting that we will be along for the ride of his progression. Jesus, the light, was coming into the world, verse 9, and he arrived in the world, verse 10, no longer just casting light on the world like the sun, but shining in the world like a fire, apparent for all. Apparent for all to see, apparent for all to feel, apparent for all to find. He was in the world, was and is. And yet, the world didn't recognize him, didn't know him, didn't realize he was God in the flesh. I played basketball in college with the son of the Milwaukee Bucks basketball coach at the time. The Milwaukee Bucks, in case that doesn't sound familiar to you, they don't exist anymore. The franchise was sold and moved on. I'm not even sure what city they went to, if any city. But the Milwaukee Bucks was a successful NBA franchise back in the 70s and 80s, and their coach for 12 years was Don Nelson, whose son I played with and was also named Don, D-O-N-N. We called him Donnie, and we called his dad Big Don. There was Big Don, the coach, and Donnie, his son, who I had the privilege of playing with. And Donnie's dad was a big deal in Wisconsin. I mean, let's face it. They've got the Packers, and then beyond that, there's not a lot going on, all right? <laughs> Sorry, I just had to do that. <laughs> but, but in those days, Milwaukee did have it going on because Big Don was their coach. And Big Don was not only a great coach, he was a five-time world champion with the Boston Celtics himself. And because of that, his fame preceded him. Plus, he had just been named NBA Coach of the Year in 1985, which meant that Big Don couldn't go anywhere, especially in Wisconsin, without being mobbed by adoring crowds. Just, just couldn't. Couldn't. So imagine our surprise one night when during our college basketball schedule, we were playing in Wisconsin, and one of the guys on the team, instead of focusing on warm-ups like he should have been, he was kind of the jokester of the team, he says to a group of us that were kind of gathered and, you know, shooting around and whatever, and he says, who in the world is that big oaf that just walked into the gym looking like a bum? And Donnie, without even glancing, says, that's my, that's my dad, and took a shot. And sure enough, there he was, in the flesh, about five rows up, in ragged jeans, before holes in jeans were popular or even a thought to be a thing. He was in ragged jeans, an untucked flannel shirt, dark sunglasses, and a baseball cap, about as incognito as a six-foot-six-inch, 240-pound bulk of a man could be, all right? Sitting five rows up with all kinds of people around him. But even more surprising than the fact that he was there was that not a single person said anything to him. He was in the gym, and the basketball world was all about him, but nobody knew him. Nobody recognized him. How about you? Have you failed to recognize Jesus? Failed to see him and know him in the course of your life? 
If so, miss out no longer. He's still here. He's still calling. He's still shining in the church and in the world even. Among us spiritually and shining brightly. The one who made you and the one who loves you and the one who died for you and rose again for you. He's still here. He's still here. Don't miss out. Don't do it. And third, from verse 11, don't miss out on receiving him. Don't miss out on seeing him. Don't miss out on knowing him. And don't miss out on receiving him. One of the greatest tragedies in all the world is the large-scale Jewish rejection of Jesus, especially in the first century. And by the way, that in no way, shape, or form should lead to any kind or any shred or any dot of anti-Semitism ever, ever in anybody's mind or heart. The fact that there was, was and is a large-scale rejection on the part of the Jews of Jesus. And yet it's a tragedy. Especially so in the first century. He came to his own, verse 11, do you see it? He came to his own he was coming into the world. He was in the world at large. And then in this progression, he came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. Did not embrace him. The world didn't know him and his people rejected him. Even though they saw him. Even though he was sitting five rows up amongst them and saw his works and heard his claims with their own ears. They rejected him even though God had chosen them, Jewish people, Israelites, and set them apart. Even though he made a covenant with them and promised a Messiah, a, a deliverer, a savior. All of that and they still rejected him. All of that and they failed to receive him. Failed to embrace him as their savior and Lord. Don't do that. Don't miss out. Don't keep repeating the mistakes of the past. Your past and the ancient past of others. Open the eyes of your heart and get to know him. Open your eyes and your arms and receive him into your life. Receive him as Lord, Master, in the best sense of that word, leader. Receive him as Lord and receive him as Savior. That's the right decision. That's the right decision for every single person who walks the face of the earth, even though so, so many don't make it. Make sure you do. Make sure you make the right decision this morning. And then last, don't fail to believe. Don't be confused. Don't miss out. And don't fail to believe. He came to his own, verse 11, and his own people did not receive him. Ah, but such awesome words. But to all who did receive him, applying just as much now to us as they did then in John's day. 
but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, there it is, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Notice here that receiving Jesus and believing in Jesus are two sides of the same coin. If you truly believe in him, you receive him. If you receive him, you believe in him. Two different aspects of salvation, but inseparable and simultaneous. The point being, don't fail to do it. Don't fail to believe all that's true of him and all that he did for you. That's the idea of believing in his name. Do you see it there? Who believed in his name? If you're not familiar with the Bible, that sounds like a, a strange way of putting it. Why not just say, believe in him? To all who did receive him, who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. Why say, believed in his name? Because his name, a.k.a. Jesus, is a shorthand way of conveying an, an encyclopedia worth of truth. That's why. His name, the name of Jesus, is a shorthand way of conveying all of his attributes and all of his works, including his work on the cross, including his resurrection, including his work in you, including his work in me. It's a shorthand way of conveying all that he's said and all that he's done and all that's true about him in one word, one label. Jesus. Jesus. A shorthand way of saying I believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he died for my sin, that he rose again for my life and reigns as Lord on high in heaven. That's the idea here. That's what it means to believe in his name, that he's God in the flesh, died for my sin, your sin, rose again, for our life, our life to the full and life eternal, and now reigns on high in heaven, interceding for us before the Father, that is, praying for us before the Father, watching over us with the Father. That's what it means to believe in his name. And if you do, if you believe and receive, you become his child. It's how you become a child of God. Don't fail to believe because it's how you become a child of God. It's how you become a part of his family. Family. It's how you're given a seat at the table, a place in his kingdom, a room in his mansion, a life with his purpose. Believe. Believe. To all who believed in his name, verse 12, he gave the right to become children of God, children who are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, Romans 8 tells us. Heirs of the greatest inheritance in all of the world, kept in heaven, imperishable for us, the apostle Peter says. The inheritance of eternal life, the inheritance of eternal blessing, the inheritance of eternal joy. You think you've got joy now around Christmas time and so on. You ain't seen nothing yet. Nothing. And if you think you can't ever escape the doldrums after Christmas or the, the difficulties of July or any other time of the year, if you think you can never escape that, that it's just all futility in life, think again. Because when you believe in the name of Jesus, he gives you the right to be a part of his family. That means you're adopted once and for all forever and you get to enjoy the blessings of eternal life forever. 
but it's not automatic. Just because you're born in the image of God doesn't mean you're a child of God. Just because you bear the marks of his design and his nature doesn't mean that you're his son or daughter. For that, you have to believe. Believe in his son. Believe in Jesus. Don't fail in that. Don't fail in that. Because it's not only how you become a child of God, it's also how you respond to the will of God. Don't fail to believe because it's how you respond to the will of God. Verse 12 again, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here we go. Who were born, that is born into the family of God, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Before we get to the last phrase, notice the three knots here. How we don't become a child of God. Which takes us right back to don't be confused. Don't be misled. The first is lineage, not by lineage. We don't become a child of God by our lineage, by our heritage. We don't become a part of his family because of our family or our family tree. Or as John says it, we're not born of blood. Blood. In other words, a Christian heritage is awesome, awesome, yes. And I trust that each and every one of you are laying the foundation for that, if not continuing having had the baton passed to you from a previous foundation laid for you in Jesus Christ. Of Christian heritage is awesome, yes, but it does not make you a child of God. You have to believe. You have to believe. It's not by ourselves, or it's not by our lineage. Second, it's not by ourselves. It's not because of ourselves that we become a child of God. We're not born of the will of the flesh, John says. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. That is, we don't become a child of God because we decided to one day. We don't. We don't. Just like a baby doesn't decide to be a child of her parents. Our salvation, our inclusion in the family of God is not because we just up and decided to in our own way, in our own mind, and made it happen. And third, it's not by others. It's not by lineage, it's not by ourselves, and it's not by others. We're not born of the will of man. Not by the will of man. We don't become a child of God because somebody else wants us to. Three knots, three ways we don't become children of God. Rather, we're born of God according to the will of God. That's the last phrase. It's all God's will. It's all God's decision. Read it with me there again. To all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, the will of God. We're born of God by the will of God. His will, his will. You will forever exalt yourself, even if it's just a little bit, you will forever exalt yourself way, way too much if you miss this, if you don't get this right. Even if you've already believed, even if you've already received Jesus as Lord and Savior, even if you already know him, get this right. 
Make sure that you're in your proper place and God is in his proper place when it comes to your salvation. I'll tell you, it'll lead to thanksgiving and gratitude on your part that you've never seen and never known before. It's all God's will. Yes, we believe and receive. Yes, we exercise our will. But it's his will that it happens in the first place. That's the gist. That's the idea. It's his will that we exercise our will to receive him and believe in the first place. The first God is the first cause of our decision, not us. God is the cause. In other words, God's will is the reason we become his child and believing is how we respond to it. God's will is the reason we become his child and believing is the way that we respond to it. So whatever you do, don't fail in that. You say, how do I know if it's God's will for me to believe and be a part of his family? Because you're hearing the words of my mouth right now. Because he's impressing this on your heart. Because your heart pounds within your chest. Because you well know that you need to repent of your sin and give your life to him. Because you well know that you need to open your eyes to his light instead of all the lesser lights of the world. That's how, that's how. You know because he's drawing you even as I speak. You know because you've made a decision by default in days gone by and that's the wrong one. That's how. That's how. You need not wonder whether or not it's God's will for you to be saved, whether it's not it's God's will for you to believe, whether or not it's God's will for you to respond. It's God's will that you would be saved. He desires none that perish. It's our responsibility to respond. Don't fail in that. Don't fail in it. Don't fail to respond. Don't fail to believe. Make the right decision and reject him no more. Open the eyes of your heart and trust him with your light, your life, for now and for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, for those who know you, God, for those who know you, will you bolster their belief all the more as a result of this text and this sermon? I trust that you'll do it, God. Assure them of their inclusion in your family and give them great joy, God. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Do that, I pray, God. Sanctify your saints. And God, for those who, those who don't believe, if they haven't already crossed over in these past few minutes, Lord, will you open their eyes as only you can? Will you shine your light in their heart as only you do? And will you draw them to yourself according to your will? God, I pray. We pray that you will indeed save souls and make whole right now, right here in our midst. Oh God, hear the prayers of those who are repenting of their sin. 
Hear the prayers of those who are expressing their belief. Their belief in Jesus. God, hear the prayers of those who want you in their life, who are receiving you as I speak. I know you do. I know you will. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.